The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 2, the party of four, Kagan the fighter, the cleric, Gyrios, the mage, Umura, and the dwarf, Soli, make some more exciting discoveries. From the river, they spot and then investigate a ruined tower. While Kagan is off looking for something to feed the starving companions, the young ogre from earlier in the story shows up. It appears to be looking for them, and for a moment, it appears it will find them. Inexplicably, the ogre is reluctant to approach the tower and retreats. Quite a stroke of luck for the party, or so it would appear. Kagan returns with his catch. It doesn't go far, but at least every member of the group gets to put something in their belly. Finally, Sully discovers a secret trapdoor concealed under a pile of rotting lumber. What might lie beneath this ruined tower? Chapter 3, Part 1, Day 2, Afternoon, Party Status, Soli, 8 of 9 hit points, Kagan, 7 of 8 hit points, Umura, 5 of 5 hit points, Gyrios, 7 of 7 hit points. Spells available, Umura has memorized, Shield. Do you think he's coming back? Asked Umura, only half kidding. Just then the dwarf reappeared from below, nose first, as if surfacing from a pool of ink. It goes away, but there's a light down there, he said. He seemed inordinately pleased with the situation. I'm fairly sure I heard someone speaking too, though my ears are not especially keen. Come on. The dwarf spun about and stepped back down into darkness, inviting no debate. Feeling very unsure, Kagan took the first few steps into the earth. It was as though he were stepping into his own tomb, but he trusted the dwarf and swallowed his fear. In moments, he was gone too. Umura and Gyrios looked at each other. Ladies first, said Gyrios, gesturing. It came out as a question. The two followed Kagan, and in seconds, all three were plunged into darkness. In the absolute dark, the party felt their senses heightened. 
The smell was rich and loamy, not unpleasant. There was a hint of something else in the air. Though none could quite place it, Umura felt a shadow of recognition and searched her memory as they felt their way forward. Dwarf, she hissed. Humans cannot see in the dark. Slow down. Apologies, I forgot, came the reply from nowhere. Here is my hand. Clumsily, the four companions formed a human chain and groped their way forward, led by Soli. After a few minutes, having traveled perhaps 60 feet in one direction, the passageway turned 90 degrees to the right and the glow of a soft light could be seen ahead. The party moved toward it, as to a lifeline. Should I have closed that trapdoor behind us? whispered Gyrios. Absolutely not, came Umora's curt reply. As the light ahead became brighter, the details of the tunnel became visible. The floor and the walls were hard-packed earth, braced every ten feet by timber planks, like the ones concealing the trapdoor above. After the bend in the tunnel, it widened considerably, so that the party could have chosen to walk two abreast, although they did not. As their surroundings materialized, so did a voice, and then another, and then a third coming from ahead. At the end of this tunnel, not thirty feet away, was a partly closed wooden door. The sight of a door underground struck Kagan as especially unnerving. Although Soli did not share this notion, he brought the party to a halt some twenty feet from the portal. All four party members held their breath and listened. Human, you say one coin's man, two coin's woman, you say three coin's boy, four coin's girl. This is girl, you pay four coins. Between the Lines The World of Merith The World of Merith is an original fantasy setting where I have placed the story, such as it is, of Tale of the Manticore. In terms of size, ranges of climate, and terrain formations, it's roughly equivalent to Earth. It follows all of the same laws of physics that Earth follows, with the exception of the existence of magic. In terms of the technology available to the world, it is similar to what would have been available in the medieval period. There are, of course, castles, siege engines, and warships. Some very basic medical knowledge is known, as is the ability to navigate by the stars. Beyond this, much of science is a mystery. There are no steam-powered airships or clockwork automatons, at least none that work without the aid of magic. There is no gunpowder, and thus there are no pistols, rifles, cannons, or anything of that sort. Most of the geography and history of the world is not well known, though such knowledge is certainly sought by those with the means and incentive to seek it. There are a number of gods who are worshipped in Merith, including Mazagar, favored in Camaranth, and the deity of our own Gyrios. But none of these gods has ever been known to show themselves directly. Certainly miracles and faith magic is real, but whether it's proof of the existence of all of the gods, or a divine essence in general, or even just a separate way to tap into the same magical pool accessed by wizards and sorcerers, nobody really knows. Merith is populated with an enormous variety of creatures, from the most powerful dragon to the meekest halfling, and everything in between. The races do not tend to mix especially well, 
and the human villages, towns, and cities we might soon discover in Tale of the Manticore are not multicultural places where dark elves rub elbows with gnomes. No, the races tend to stay apart, and so elves and halflings are very rare indeed, in the location where we have begun our tale at least. One exception is the dwarves. The dwarves of the Windless Rise have recently started trading with the human settlements nearby. This is not to say that a dwarf is a common sight in these parts for a human, but perhaps they are not so rare that at least some men and women would be able to say that they have seen or spoken to a dwarf once or twice in their days. Part 2. Day 2. Afternoon. Human, you cheat! Shrieked the voice. Gnaw! You pick now or die! Those are goblins, whispered Umora, tucking a loose strand of hair behind her ear, nervously. I recognized one of the words. Go back! Soli hissed, waving back toward the entrance to the tunnel. Go back! Go back! The party realized that even if they outnumbered the group ahead, and that was by no means a certainty, their enemy would likely be armed and armored. To attack, even with surprise, would be foolish. The companions slowly backed away from the door, careful to remain silent. A luck roll is required for the party to escape undetected. I think they have a fairly good chance of making it, so I will rule that they need a 6 or better on a d20. Here's the roll. Oh dear, it's a five. It seems the party's luck has run out. Girios has stumbled over a protruding root in the hard dirt floor of the tunnel. While throwing out his hands to break his fall, his makeshift weapon clatters to the ground. The noise is not much, but it's enough to give them away. The talking on the other side of the door has ceased. With a burst of light, the door is thrown wide and the silhouetted forms of two goblins and a hooded human are before them. Instantly, each member of the party recognizes their former tormentors. One of the goblins carries a short sword. The other carries the all-too-familiar club. Lucky day! Sneers the one with the club. We take you back! But first you punished, yes? The goblins rush the party. Each goblin has six hit points and wears a patchwork of armor that gives them an AC of six. They deal one to four and one to six points of damage with club and short sword, respectively. They have a morale of ten. The human with them is more dangerous, however. He is a second-level magic user named Dermond. Dermond has seven hit points and, in simple robes, an AC of just nine. He does have two first-level spells at his disposal, however, and he is more than willing to use both of them. Initiative. The goblins. A five. The party. A four. The enemy wins. The goblins think this will be an easy fight. Soli and Kagan are in front and will receive the brunt of their attack. The goblin with the club has chosen Soli as his target. Yeah! Soli has an AC of 9, and the goblin needs a 10 to hit him. A 9. 
the goblin has just missed, and his club whistles past Soli's nose. The goblin with a short sword attacks Kagan. It also needs a 10 to hit Kagan's AC of 9. The roll. An 8. Another miss. Dermond wastes no time. He casts his first spell at Kagan. Kagan's saving throw against spells is a 16. The roll. A 3. A pure white flash explodes into Kagan's vision as the spell of light strikes him. Kagan howls in pain and surprise. His free hand goes to his face, but there is no escaping the searing light. Kagan is now blinded and fights at a minus four. Now it's the party's turn. Soli returns the attack on the goblin with a club. The goblin's AC is a six, and Soli needs a 13 to hit him. The result? A nine. Soli's makeshift weapon whistles past the goblin's face. Kagan also tries to connect. Normally, he needs a 12, but because he's blind, he'll need a 16. An 18! Kagan has connected with his dagger for a total of two damage. Umura and Giryos would like to get into this fight, but they cannot reach the goblins or Dermond because the tunnel is so narrow. Giryos is outraged by his enemy's use of light as a weapon and views it as a sacrilege. He yells curses at the enemy spellcaster. At this point, Umura can only look upon helplessly. Round two, initiative. The goblins roll, a five. The party, a three. The goblins win. Kagan, suddenly blinded, rays of light beaming from his eyes, casts about wildly, sending dazzling shadows and shapes racing up and down the walls. The goblin with the club attacks Soli again. A three, the goblin misses. The goblin with the sword attacks Kagan. A 13. The goblin has nicked Kagan across the forearm for one point of damage. Kagan has six hit points left. Dermond, for his turn, commands the party to surrender. Surrender and you'll be spared. Now it's the party's turn. Soli swings his makeshift weapon. A two, not even close. Kagan attacks. A 16, that's just enough. He stabs wildly forward and strikes for a second time. He does three points of damage. The goblin now has just one left. Black blood is dripping from a pair of deep cuts in the goblin, and it can barely remain standing. Gyrios responds to Dermon's command. We'd rather die than surrender. Umura, for her turn, considers casting her single spell of shield, but decides to wait. Round three, initiative. The goblins roll, a three. The party gets a four. This time, the party wins. The goblins realize this fight won't be so easy after all, and they hesitate. Soli attacks his goblin. He needs a 13. A nat 20! Soli cracks the goblin over the head with his improvised staff. He does maximum damage plus another roll. Too bad he's using such a weak weapon. He does three points. This goblin is hurt bad. Kagan attacks his goblin. A 13. Minus four. He just misses. Umura and Gyrios continue to watch from the back, hoping for an opportunity to help. Now it's the goblin's turn. The goblin with a club attacks Soli. A six. That's a miss. The goblin with a sword attacks Kagan. Die, human. With an eleven, the goblin catches him across the knee. Kagan almost falls, but keeps his balance somehow. The goblin has done three points of damage. Kagan has only three hit points left. 
McDermott, for his turn, pulls out his dagger and takes aim at Gyrios. He says, Last chance. You can't win here. Round four. Initiative. The goblins roll. A four. The party. A three. The goblins win. Kagan has been staggered by the goblins' blow and almost loses his footing. It seems the tide has turned against them. Soli is attacked. With a seven, Soli manages to parry the blow with his staff. The goblin with the sword attacks Kagan. Only a six. This goblin is very weak now, and his swing is easily blocked. Dermot, for his turn, decides to taunt the party a little more. If that's the way you want it, you'll suffer. Dermot begins to cast a spell. Now it's the party's turn. Soli attacks his goblin. A 16. That's a hit. After parrying the goblin's attack, Soli manages to get in close and slams the butt of his makeshift staff into the goblin's face. For two points. The goblin has now only one hit point left. Kagan attacks his goblin. A five is a miss. Both combatants are exhausted and near death. Umura, recognizing that the enemy wizard is about to cast a spell, throws her stick at him in order to break his concentration. She needs a 13 to hit him. Six, that's a miss. Round five. The goblin's initiative. A two. The party rolls. A one. The goblins win. I'll rule that the goblins will need to make a morale check now, since they're down to one hit point each. Their roll. A seven. The goblins will stay and fight. The goblin with a club on Soli. A four. That's a miss. The goblin with a sword attacks Kagan. A 13. The goblin connects. Kagan is an easy target now. The goblin does two points of damage. Kagan has one hit point left, and one more strike will kill him. Dermond is choosing his target. Dermond is an intelligent man and realizes that dwarves are resistant to magic. He had planned on casting the spell on Gyrios, but after Umura tries to distract him, he decides to make her his target. He casts his spell. She needs a 15 to save against it, and she has a wisdom penalty of minus one. Her roll? A 12. Umura has failed her save. Umura suddenly felt as though a film had been lifted from her eyes. Everything was so clear now. She was fighting for the wrong side. This man was her friend, an ally. And these others? She didn't know them. She didn't trust them. How could she even be sure they were who they said they were? This other man? She couldn't quite remember his name. It was probably all the confusion going on. He had tried to end the violence when Gyrios had threatened him. Gyrios had cursed him. There was only one reasonable thing to do. She must protect her friends. Umura lunged at Gyrios. She had no weapon, but she would scratch his eyes out if she could. Gyrios has an armor class of 9, and Umura needs a 13 to hit him. The roll? A 19! Umura rakes him across the face with her fingernails for one point of damage. Gyrios is taken completely by surprise. His arms go up to ward off the ferocious attacks from this apparently crazed woman. Soli attacks the goblin with a club. A nine, that's a miss. Kagan attacks his goblin. A 17, even with a penalty, that's a hit. 
two points of damage. Kagan shoves his dagger straight ahead and it finds the goblin's throat. There's a gurgling sound and the goblin collapses at his feet. Round six, initiative. The single goblin, a four, the party, a six, the party wins. The sight of his ally on the ground has given the goblin pause. Soli attacks the goblin. A seven, Soli has missed again. Kagan. A six, Kagan misses two. Umura, like a wild animal, attacks Gyrios with her fingernails. A one, that's a critical miss. Umura will miss her next turn as well. Gyrios is not sure what to do, but instinctively he fights back and swings at Umura with his stick. A 14, that's a hit. For two points of damage. Now it's the enemy's turn. The remaining goblin attacks Soli. A 15, that's a hit. Damage. Three points. The goblin cracks Soli across the head and Soli sees black stars dancing in front of his vision. Soli has five hit points left. Dermond, for his turn, backs slowly into the doorway, calling to Umura. My friend, help me! Round seven. Initiative. The goblin. A two. The party. A three. The party has won. The remaining goblin has slipped in the pooling blood of his former companion. Soli attacks him. He needs a 13. A seven. Yet another miss from Soli. Kagan attacks. A six. Kagan misses two. Umura had a critical fail last turn and misses this round. Gyrios, he tries to grapple Umura and restrain her. He needs a 13. That's a miss. This last remaining goblin will check morale one last time. The roll. A five. He decides to stand and fight to the death. The goblin attacks solely. A 16. With the final burst of energy, the goblin manages to connect. Four. One point of damage. Dermond, for his turn, is taking aim with his dagger once again. Round eight. Initiative. The goblin. A three. The party. A one. The goblin wins. This may well be the final round. The goblin attacks solely. A one. That's a critical fail. The goblin has slipped once again in his companion's blood. He'll miss his next turn. Perhaps not wanting to lose his only weapon, Dermond has put away his dagger and is backing into the doorway again. Clearly, he is thinking of abandoning his goblin ally. Soli attacks the goblin. A 13. Soli has hit the goblin for one point of damage, but this goblin only had one hit point left. Soli gets in close and headbutts the goblin, breaking its nose. The goblin dies instantly. Kagan. Being blinded and having no opponents directly in front of him can do nothing this turn. Gyrios tries to grapple Umura for a second time. He needs a 13. A 15. Gyrios has grabbed Umura and pinned her arms to her sides. She is shrieking at him and spitting in his face. <coughs> Round 9. Initiative. Only Dermond remains. He will try to slam the door shut if he wins. His role. A 2. The party, a six. The companions must reach the wizard before he can close the door. Dermond's AC is only a nine, so Soli just needs a 10 to hit him. A three, he just can't get there in time. 
He calls to Kagan. Kagan, in front of you. Kagan would normally need a nine to hit the wizard, but because of his blindness, he needs a 13. An 18. Kagan has hit the wizard with his dagger for five points. Dermond has just two hit points left. Umura can make a strength check to try to break Gyrios' hold on her. Umura has a strength of eight. Her roll, a 16. She fails. Dermond, for his turn, also needs to make an ability check. Dermond will try to force Kagan back so he can close the door. Dermond is not a strong man. He has a strength of eight. His roll, a 15. That's a fail. Round 10. Initiative. Dermond. A six. The party. A four. Dermond is a coward at heart. I'll roll two dice six. On an eight or higher, he'll surrender. I've rolled a four. He realizes that to turn his back or to surrender would be almost certain death after what he's done to these people. He decides to attack solely with his dagger. A nine. That's a miss. Sully attacks Dermond. He needs a 10. A 15. The damage? Two points. Sully grabs Dermond by the shirt and pulls him to the ground. Taking a fistful of his hair, he smashes Dermond's face into the floor. And Dermond is dead. Instantly, Umora is released from the spell. Charm person. Gyrios does not know this and maintains his hold on her. After the battle, the party takes a moment to catch their breath while Kagan staggers, catching himself on the doorframe and clutching at his eyes, moaning. The party's hit points are now as follows. Solely. Four hit points out of nine. Kagan. One hit point out of eight. Gyrios. Six out of seven. Umura. Three out of five. I am blind, moaned Kagan. Light still beamed from his eyes, even shone through the flesh of his hands. He had dropped the goblin's dagger to the ground. Sully picked it up and put his hand on the bigger man's elbow. I shall help to guide you, friend. Fear not. Umura found herself free of the enchantment and held by Gyrios in a kind of bear hug. Appalled at having succumbed to the spell, she spoke dully. Gyrios, I'm all right now. Gyrios did not loosen his hold on her, so she repeated herself. Let me go, Cleric. I am myself again. Gyrios slowly released her, and she backed away from him, looking at his face where she had scratched him. She raised a hand to touch the cut, but the priest flinched away. I... I'm sorry. I... I'm myself again. Now. Oh, Gyrios, I'm so sorry. It... it wasn't me. Gyrios turned away from her, and addressed the wounded fighter. You will not suffer long, Kagan. I know a little about light magic. That spell of blindness was an abuse of Mazigar's gift, but it will not last long. Soon you will see again, I promise. I'm going to see what's behind this door, said Soli, and he walked inside. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. You have been listening to the remastered version of this episode. If you enjoy what you've heard, please consider leaving the show a five-star review on iTunes. 
it helps a great deal. For show notes, more behind-the-scenes info, rants, and random thoughts, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The story continues in the next chapter of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Lucius Tarquin has been exiled to the Outlands, a sector of space far beyond the control of the Founder Clans. Taking a job to deliver an important data packet to a renowned shipbuilder on the Desert World Rampart, Lucius enters a world of danger, adventure, and discovery. With every vow he swears, he must delve deeper into a universe beset by conflict and find his own path through. I'm Steve Morrison, writer and game master, and in season one of my solo RPG podcast, Errant Adventures, I chronicle the journey of Lucius Tarquin as I play Ironsworn Starforged. You can find the show on all your favorite podcast apps, so join me as we uncover the story every week.